Hey, beautiful humans. It's time to stop sacrificing for everyone else and put you first. Are you feeling tired, stuck, or disconnected? Or maybe you're just looking to be the best version of you. I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild, and this is Embrace, Embrace You First, a podcast to help you thrive and not just survive. We are busy moms, successful entrepreneurs, and doctors in the field of natural medicine with over 40 years combined clinical experience. You're going to learn from our professional expertise and our juicy secrets that have helped thousands of men and women just like you. We are going to teach you practical and doable strategies on health, relationships, and career. So sit back, relax, and get ready to embrace you right now. Every day we see ads of small, slim women and thinking that in order to feel good, we must inhabit a smaller body. And today we want to offer a new perspective and on the topic of weight, weight loss and the desire to look a certain way. So we're so super thrilled, David, Bedrick, that you're here with us. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. It's really a pleasure. It's an important message. Yeah. Um, You talk about, I wanted to start with a quote here, um, because you're looking at how we overlook the more powerful and meaningful ways body size and eating are expressions of who we really are on the inside. Mm. Can you address that before we actually tell everybody a little bit about who you are? Wow, that's a big question. Let's see how to say that without writing a book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, while you're thinking about it, why don't... No, I'm happy happy to say something. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You just don't need to pause. Sorry. (laughs) Anya got me into my humor this before you showed up. (laughs) What goes... It's really important, the question, because the body itself is such a powerful, expressive creative aspect of our being and yet it's not always looked at that way because of shame so if someone looks at the body and says it doesn't fit a certain measurement an objectification of a kind then the analysis the request of the body what are you saying goes away we say i I don't what's to figure out i should eat more eat less exercise more exercise less and then the experience of the person goes away and we don't look for the message for example, a larger body, you'll see in the, in the book, in the, some of the stories, can happen in response to an earlier trauma. So that body is saying something. For some women, one of the women in the book, it's saying, I need some protection around me to feel well, especially well relative to the male gaze as I walk through the world. I don't feel safe. So that's an intelligent message. If we look at that through Shane's eyes, Let's put her on a diet. What seven steps would she, would she take? Then we miss the story and the message of the body. And hungers are like that too. I won't say more about that. But hungers, let's say one thing. Hungers are always an expression, not only of what the body needs. I need certain proteins and certain vitamins, but an expression of hungers for a life that aren't readily and easily lived. Now, if you live in a more or less woman's body or woman of color's body, then those expressions are going to be curtailed in part by culture. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be too big, too loud, too dominant, too intelligent, too tender, too sensitive. And if those are potent, and they can be, or you should be serving, I'm a male, you should be treating me in a certain way, put your own hungers and desires away, then food and the hunger for food becomes one way where that manifests. Wow, that yeah. is so powerful. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So let's mm-hmm. actually tell it. Like, I mean, you can tell David is the real deal here. And so we need to offer everyone like about yeah. who you are, right? So you're a speaker, an attorney, an author of Talking Back to Dr. Phil, Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology and Revisioning Activism, Bringing Depth, Dialogue, and Diversity to Individual and Social Change. And then what we're addressing now is your new book, which is You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. We love the name of your book. 
Mm. Like it just so exemplifies what we have already covered, right? And this is 17 women's stories of hunger, body shame, and redemption. And this is our topic today. So mm. just to name the title itself, what what is hunger? This is such a great question. What is hunger? As I was implying before, hunger is a natural thing for food, but then we're so hungry for so many things in life. So people look for in food tastes of a life that they want. For instance, um, I'm thinking of one woman I worked with, She's her stories in the book. She said, if I could only eat fewer hamburgers, they're my nemesis. I would lose weight, I'd have a body that I would find attractive, that the world would find attractive. And she said that, and I said, what's the diet program you put you on? How do you try to curtail yourself? And she said, well, I go to the cafeteria where I work and then I try to have a hamburger without the bun. So I just have the meat because the bun is heavy. And then I try not to have the cheese because the cheese and the cheeseburger, well, the cheese is not needed. And I like mayonnaise mixed in with my ketchup for the sauce, but I don't really need mayonnaise. So I strip down the hamburger till just basically it's a meat patty with some salt and pepper on it. And I said, and then what happens? She says, then a few hours later, I leave work. I'm hungry for a real hamburger, right? <laughs> so yes. she goes out and gets a hamburger. So think about this in terms of hunger. One part of her says, I want a hamburger. Another part says, don't do it. Take off the cheese, take off the mayonnaise, take off the bun. That's her, that's her diet program. Can you follow? That's in her mind. So I said to her, let's do a quick role play. I'm going to be a diet program, your diet program. Don't have the cheese. Don't have the bun. Drink more water. Eat more salads, things like that. And I want you to argue for the hamburger the way you want it. She says, why would I do that? I'm trying to not have that. And I said, because I want you to support, advocate for your hunger. It wins anyway. The hamburger, as you want, it wins. You go get it. Let's have that dialogue. Now, one thing I want to say so far, shame never asks those questions. What are you really hungry for? What are you doing? Argue for the thing. Shame just says, what's wrong with you? Stop doing that. You're undisciplined. And a simple analysis of why you shouldn't be that way. So shame closes the door on looking. So I say to her, okay. She says, I want a hamburger. I said, you shouldn't have the cheese. She says, it's not a hamburger without the cheese. She says to me. And I said, get rid of the bun. She says, it's a perfect round sandwich with the bun. You don't understand. Like, that's, that's what a hamburger is. I said, can't you not have the mayo? You don't understand how the mayo mixes in the sauce and how that was the best thing I had in my childhood. And we go on like that. And I said to her, do you have to have all of those things? Can't you get rid of any of them? And she gets teary. She says, I never get anything exactly the way I want it. So it's an exemplary in her life. Yes. She's saying somewhere in my life, I would like to have things the way I want them because I'm an accommodating person, partially mm. sexism and culture for her says I should give in. I have a family. I should take care of my kids. I have a husband. He works hard. I should be good to him. I should put away my own needs and desires. And then it comes to a hamburger, the hunger for what she wants, the life she wants comes up. So then she says, well, is there a way to lose weight if I don't get rid of the hamburgers? And I said, yes. Tell me things you're hungry for in life. She says, well, I always wanted to go back to school and get a degree, but I stopped when I had my children. I said, you might need to go get a degree to get the life you want. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. Yeah. And then she can drop the hamburger. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then she did most of the time. She, she had other needs that came up. Some of them were rather simple. Like one of the things I asked her about, I said, where do you accommodate? She said, well, this is a silly thing, she says. People think their little things are silly. That's a dismissal, right? She says, it's a silly thing, but we were painting the living room in my house, and I wanted a white that had a little bit of rose color, and my husband wanted a white with a little bit of blue in it, and I went for the blue. And her first part of her new program was to repaint the wall, 
Now, how would so you guess that is a diet program? <laughs> right. Unless you I have. love it. It's mm-hmm. perfect. It's yeah. perfect. So I guess then what you're saying is when we address those hungers outside of the actual food itself, mm-hmm. that response will have you then have less hunger for that hamburger. Is that what you're saying, essentially? Yes. In the end? That's what I'm saying. And then the one little caveat has to be said. Because we live in a world that says this is the new answer. David Bedrick has the new answer. If you do this, everything will get better. Then shame enters if a person doesn't do that. So I'm always protective of people, not my own message of saying, and it might not work. Things may happen different for you. You may live a life and bigger life and say, I don't mind having a bigger body. You may build a bigger life and say, screw the male gaze and what people want me to look like. You may, you may live a bigger life and say, I like living a bigger life. I think I'll put off on losing weight for a while and see what happens in a year from now when I feel differently. So the empowered voice doesn't always then come back to the normative view of what the body should look like. Is that, am I making, saying that clearly enough? Yes. So yeah. let's speak to the actual body shame itself. Like what, what is it? How do you define it? Yeah. Body shame is, I want to say two things. One is objectification of all kinds shame. Now we, most of us know, and most women know deeply what objectification means. I look at the woman I don't want to put it on my own voice only. A male gaze looks at the woman and says, let me size her up in a certain way. Is she attractive? Is she sexually attractive? Do I think she's valuable, pretty, beautiful? But objectification happens anytime a person treats themselves or the culture treats them like an object. That means I'm going to measure myself. I'm going to put myself on a scale. I'm going to decide I should wear stripes that are up and down versus across because then I won't look a certain way. Oh my gosh, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you wear stripes up and down or across? Up and down to look slimmer. <laughs> up and down to look slimmer. <laughs> right? I, I don't know. I, and How wear come, darker colors How? normally. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. I was talking over you. Go ahead. I'm... No, no. Sorry. I, I, I just had to cut in because like, oh my gosh, I do that. Right? And so the having the visual appearance because the up and down stripes has has the eye gaze up and down so then you look slimmer that's right and then typically wearing darker colors Mm -hmm. because similar right because it'll hide some of the you know if there's like a little puff here and there in my body it's less visible when it's in, in darker clothing Right. Although I'm wearing loose clothing and it's light today. That's right. So, so here's a question which you don't have to answer. But what, the, what are the nature of those eyes that you have that might have been internalized from a culture that you have that looks at yourself and says, this looks better. Dear world, please look up and down at me. Don't look at the side because you'll see a little round plump in my belly. If I were you, as women, we're so attuned to all these little techniques and strategies to make ourselves look slimmer. It's like, yeah. Well, you know, and and when you bringing my culture into it, uh, like I wasn't born in Hong Kong, but I'll tell you when I went, it was interesting to go to the retail stores. And I tell you all the clothing, it was like everybody has to be one size. And if you don't fit that size, then you're out of luck. You just might as well wear a bag because like, and so I'm not a big person, but I felt big in the culture because, you know, the norm or what they expect a woman to look like is like, not just slim, but like rail thin. Right. And that's the sign of beauty. And, and, um, and then in terms of skin color, I, I get freckles. So that's considered like, my gosh, you might as well just, again, put a bag over your face. Never mind. Wow. And then to have, I'm exaggerating a little bit. No, but, I know, but I get the feeling of it, yes. Right? Yeah. And, and then in terms of skin color, in traditional culture, women wanted to whiten their face and their bodies because any kind of darkness will look like you worked in the fields. Hence, it's like a hierarchical thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're not worthy if you don't have light skin and, and unblemished. And I'm so, yeah. I'm so glad I asked because we're talking about shame because shame doesn't ask. It doesn't like I'm so touched. I'm getting goosebumps and teary just because <laughs> I'm so moved to learn because I didn't know that about your culture. You see. So how am I going to 
understand you, care about you, help you if that's what you were asking for. You weren't in the moment. How am I going to be offer you anything of service if I don't begin to understand what the very, the very beginnings of what you're saying? Yet most programs wouldn't even ask. This is what it's like. Imagine the bag over the head. That's a little extreme, but it. But I feel it. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I saw Tanya had the same reaction. You're helping us have strong reactions to that gaze. And then you're bringing in diversity issues. Learn about my culture before you start to objectify me, program me, et cetera. Understand me, because shame doesn't ask about your story, a trauma story, a cultural story, the dominant woman story that Tanya was going to tell. These are so important to the understanding. And how long did that take? It took a few minutes. It's not like we had to take years figuring figuring everything out. There's more we could figure out, of course. But just that little bit of being willing to listen to you and have you say something about the stripes. One more simple question. Tell me about those stripes. What a flood of information. Everybody does that. They flood information out. And those inf that information combats shame, which says you are an object to be fixed, normalized, put into a normative thing. And that normative system is almost always a cultural and patriarchal gaze in part. Part of it health, sure. But for almost everybody, as Tanya was saying, it's internalized. It's an internalized oppression. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I want to tell you more stories, but I want to follow the two of you and you know your audience. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? No, we, keep we, going. You, we love what you're saying. We're just like yeah. sitting and nodding. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 and well, I, I want to just mm -hmm. acknowledge one thing, though. You know, you're talking about don't right. judge the body, but I would add to it. It's not just the body in terms of size. Right. Because I mentioned skin colors. So some people like having acne or uh, mm -hmm. or other skin issues or hair when certain women will have hair loss and then there's shame around that or actually extra hair right like all of those things anything else that you can think of Tanya eyelids right so sometimes yes. like uh, I guess adding eyelids right in some cultures oh my gosh yeah right. well, now we're looking Very at common. the whole um, industry of surgical industry because mm -hmm. we are granted a specific body with specific attitude uh, attributes and we want to change it like in China it floored me that women went to such great lengths to gain an inch by cutting the bones off their femur wow. Do you, have you guys heard about of this surgery it floored yeah. me right to gain an inch they're living in the hospital for a year because they like a woman will be uh, when she's applying for a job they ask their their not just their age but also their height and they're showing up they have to show their picture it's like insane i worked with a woman her story is in the in the book um and uh when she was young her father called her chunky and then the father's friends would be around and they would all tease and laugh that was her first memory of this is my body this is what i look like and uh, but she was rather big and strong and she did things that were part of her physical strength. And later on in her adult life, she entered the military. Mm -hmm. And when she was in the military, she said, I could do everything the guys can do. She had to lift these huge tires. I can't remember what they were called. She had a number for them and she could run as fast and do all the exercises. She said, but they put me uh, they put me in fat camp. And I said, how did they decide that? And she said, they did something called tape testing. So tell me what tape testing is. You can imagine already. She said, well, they take this tape, they wrap it around my chest, my waist and around my butt, she says. And she said, and then they decide my butt, this is how she spoke, my butt is too big. And, um, and I said, oh my gosh, that must've been difficult. She said at night, she took Preparation H, that's the stuff that shrinks yes, hemorrhoids. Yes. Coated her butt and thighs, wrapped it in saran wrap, and slept like that so she could shrink herself down um, so that when the tape testing comes, she wouldn't be ashamed. It's not quite as drastic as the femur thing, but you can see the, the mindset that says, how do I get rid of something of myself? And that's so important. Tanya and Mary, because it's getting rid of the body, but the psychology does the same thing. If I'm, if that woman's tape testing herself and putting hemorrhoid 
cream on to make herself smaller. You can bet, and she did, that she was trying to make herself smaller in a lot of ways in life. And the biggest thing for her was her ambitions. She wanted to go for big things. She wanted to become a firewoman next. And she said, am I just pushing? Am I trying to do too much? Can you follow? I shouldn't be so big. I shouldn't be so big and strong as a woman in the world. Wouldn't it be better if I was more petite, if I was less chunky? So she's still trying to reduce herself, not just in body, but in how she lives. And later on, she decided after we worked together, I'm a bear, she said to me once when we got her into her big body and she decided to become a firewoman and do all kinds. Of, and then she got interested in being an EMT and she started taking on bigger things in her life. So the bigness of the body, you were saying that at the beginning, sometimes represents a bigness of my life. Mm -hmm. Wow. So then speaking to this, what are some alternatives for seeing, caring, and for loving our bodies? It's, a, it's such a powerful question. Just asking the question alone, how do we love our bodies? Anyway, I, I have an answer. I'm just touched by the question, it's the first thing that comes up for me, is, I can give you a list. The first thing that comes up for me is how do we ask our body about its experience? Because let's say I have, like I have, in my brain, I have about 10 pounds heavy, more weight on my belly than I need to, in some mind, right? So how do I ask my body for its experience? That's not my body's experience, that's my viewpoint. Maybe it's a good viewpoint, maybe it's not. It tends to be a little critical inside. 97% of women have violent voices about their bodies every single day. Mm. Not just like you could look thinner, but more violent. So how do I ask? 97? 97%. That's insane. Every single day. <laughs> yeah. So how do you ask your body? Well, the first thing that I do with someone is if they say, I'm too fat, I'm too big. I say, what's it like? What, like just like I was asking you, what's it like to grow up in your culture as a woman with your skin, in your body? What's it like to have a big belly? And that person will just say, what do you mean? No one's asked that question. I say, if you're, for instance, I'd say, let's say you can show me with your hands. Make believe this is your body, your hands. Show me what it's like. Well, it's like this. Now they're beginning to show me something. They're not in their heads and their viewpoint, which is mixed in with their oppression. It's like this. And I say, what's it like to be this way? Forget about the evaluation. What's it like to be? It means stretching out into the world and opening my arms, one woman said. It means having a moat around me that people can't get through and protects me, another person says. It means being as big and loud as I am, another person says. So now I'm asking the body the answer to your question, as opposed to asking the person's mind, which is my love minds. I like intellect, as you probably can see. But we have to ask the body itself. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we spoke to um, Kimberly Johnson. So for those of you who are listening to this, go check out our previous podcasts with her. We had two of them. And this is all relevant. And she talked about trauma. So we would love to hear from you. Is there a relationship between tr trauma and body size? Yeah. One woman I worked with, for many women, this is true. I'm just telling one story because it'll give the scenario that people will connect with. She said to me, she wanted to lose. I'm trying to remember the number now. I think it was like 25 kilos, which is whatever, about 50 plus pounds. And I said to her, I usually ask this question, was there a moment in your life when you gained weight suddenly or did it happen over time? And the reason that's important is because some people, some women gain weight around a traumatic event. All of a sudden, starve or eat a lot, right? One or the other, go back and forth. So it's not always true, but it can be true. And she said, yes, it happened. I hadn't thought about that about two years ago. And I said, can you tell me about two years ago? Again, I'm not shaming her. I'm interested in, I'm not interested in helping her lose her weight yet. Maybe never. That's up to her. But first I want to understand her, put a lens on her that doesn't shame her. And she said, I was on a social media and a man started writing to me in pornographic ways, she said, and then found out my address and started sending things to my home. And I started getting scared. 
And I asked her more about that. And she said it also triggered an earlier memory for her. And I said, what kind of things was he saying to you? I don't want to repeat them because they're triggering, but they were gross, not yummy sexual things, gross sexual things, predatory sexual things. So I said to her, can I repeat some of those words to you so I can help you connect with what was happening in a safe place? And then she said, okay. And I started saying one or two of the words. And she said, my hands are getting numb, David. I was like, whoa, that's big. And I said, do you feel any strength inside of you? In your legs, maybe you're standing strong. And she said, no, more of me is getting numb. I asked about the strength because sometimes a person can contact power inside them that helps them deal with being assaulted. But her feedback to me, her energy said, that's not going to help, David. You can't help me do that. I'm, I'm going away. Can you follow? My body is going away. I'm leaving, she's saying. And I said, what would, what would help you feel safer, if anything? She said, I would go into my bed under the covers. We were on a video. I said, do you need to leave the session and do that? Well, can you imagine that? She said, because I have to give her choices now. Trauma means, especially as a male working with a woman, means consent is ultimately important because not everyone can say, that doesn't work for me, David, mm -hmm. especially in that moment. And I am a therapist, so I have some, some influence in that way. There's a power dynamic. She says, I can imagine that. I said, okay, what's it like? She says, this is triggering. I just want to get, tell people, hold yourself if you have stories that come up for you. She said, I'm naked. I said, does it feel good to be naked? She said, no. I said, what would you do? She said, I'd put on sweatpants and a sweatshirt. I said, can you imagine putting that on? Yes. How does it feel? I still feel unsafe. Do you want to put on more clothes? Yes. What would you do? I'd put on two more sweatpants and two more sweatshirts. Now she has three layers of sweat clothes on. Can you see the body's intelligence? It gives me chills just to tell the story. Can you see the body's? She's saying, can I put some padding on and be feel more safe in the world? Now, can imagine, imagine now, ugh, I should slow down because the feelings are so important for me. That means other people might be having them too. Mm. Thank you for slowing down because this is exactly yeah. what we do. We're like, you know, we're such a information seeking culture and then we forget to pause and reflect back what you say and actually internalize it and see how it feels. So thank you for naturally doing that, right? Yeah. It's so painful because then she lives in an, it makes me cry and be so upset because she lives in an inner world of constant inner criticism, not constant, oh my gosh, I don't feel safe. I need some support for that. It's exactly the opposite what's going on in her. In fact, I asked her, did you remember that story she, and, and how that began? She I never thought about it before. No one asked and inside she doesn't ask because she doesn't live in a world that says, I wonder what's going on. Can you tell me your story? Yeah. Could you imagine if she went to me or anybody or a program or a weight loss program or anybody or a coach and she said, okay, help me lose weight. And they said, oh, sure, I can help you do that. What happens to her story? Mm -hmm. What happens to her need for safety? Her need for safety is now treated like it's irrelevant, not intentionally. That's a good coach. They really want to help her. But her need for safety is treated like it's something that's in the way, not that it's the road for her. The safety issue is the road to whatever her health or psychological and physical health, but it treats it as if it's in the way. Isn't that painful? That makes me really upset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's going beyond, uh, uh, you know, why people are overeating, like in just a physical manner, right? So to address it more deeply, can you tell us why do people overeat? You're kind of expressing that in that example. Can you just put it like in a, a bullet point as to what happened there? Why did this person overate? Yeah, for her, her body had intelligence. Her body wasn't dumb or undisciplined or something worthy of objectifying, being called unattractive. Her body was worth and worthy of telling a story that had intelligence. I have intelligence, my body, this body says, I know I need something. 
The rest of me doesn't need to know that she's trying to not eat. But I know I need something, the body is saying. I know I need padding, support, protection. I know I have a story to work through. I know I don't feel safe in certain ways, even in my own world. Mm-hmm. It's an intelligent body. Yeah. Not everyone eats extra for that particular reason, but trauma is one reason. Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating. Isn't it? We could, in a way, I'm wanting to hear the next question, but to that slowing down, in a way we could stop. If I was in a workshop or a group or something, we could stop right there. And if we were with five women or seven, I was just with facilitating a group of 60 women who invited me into their a woman's training separately to come do a, a couple of sessions. And um, if I had stopped right there, we would spend an hour to two having people tell stories, crying, screaming, being pissed off, holding each other, not being willing to tell their story yet because they don't feel safe enough even in a safe group yet. All of that belongs just to that one story, all of that belongs, as you, I'm sure you both know. Yeah. There's even a high prevalence of hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is when a woman loses her period amongst young women nowadays. Mm-hmm. So going the other direction, um, just not eating to not gain, not just being stuck losing. And I don't know if you could speak to that because it's, uh, we, we uh, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's it's there's it's resulting in a lot of emergency visits with uh, young women who are basically starving, so anorexic, but to the degree where they're just not even getting their periods. Yeah, and uh, I'm just curious what your input is on that. I, I in in a lot of cases there is no necessary like sexual trauma or or traumas. Uh, it, it's more just this cultural standard that they're trying to kind of like a of what a woman's body looks like, like, you know, on Instagram, the perfect, like slim, um, body dysmorphic kind of, you know, like they have body dysmorphia. They think they're supposed to be like, have no shape when really as women, we should have shape so we can conceive, so we can ovulate, menstruate. And, uh, you know, even growing up with a sister who went through uh, sexual abuse, um, and she had uh, bulimia to the point that the back of her teeth rotted. Um, so she'd throw up as a control mechanism uh, to overeat because the overeating probably made her safe, like you're saying. And then she yeah. would throw up because she wanted to be perfectly skinny, like everybody, you know, uh, tries to be. So this, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting even without necessarily sexual trauma, like what is this fixation with being so skinny yeah. and not having shape and, and, and this, mm-hmm. this uh, prevalence of hypothalamic amenorrhea amongst young teens. It's so scary. It's like scary. I have a five, a four-year-old daughter and I just worry like even me, because I do support women to eat healthy and, and lose weight in a safe manner and to love their bodies as they're progressing. But she sees me doing intermittent fasting. She probably wonders like, why aren't you eating mommy? But it's for my health, but yeah. So I'm just curious. Do you have any? Um... Yes, and you said you point. Yeah, Tanya, thank you. That's, that's so important what you're saying. You bring in so many important issues. On my mind is kind of saying, which one should I hit? <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 I, no, I, no. Long dialogue. It's a great, it's a great conversation. I want to just give a, a piece of data. Eighty percent of girls by 10 years old are managing their body weight. They're not all because they're BMI, they're overweight. 80% are doing that. Surveys say that that those girls would rather have cancer, have their parents get divorced, have a car accident than be heavy. Oh my goodness. That's That's the mindset and how quickly it is. So the violence of that cultural gaze is so important because we have obvious violences you're talking about, right? Someone did this awful thing, attacked, sexually violated these mm-hmm. things, and then we can connect with those. But the everyday violence goes in so young, by mm-hmm. four or five years old, girls can say most, I'm not pretty. By four, I mean, literally, you know, other ones are pretty. So that's just want to say that how potent that culture is and it gets dismissed because it's every day. It's not an event. Let me tell you what happened or repeatedly happened in my home. It's an everyday occurrence. And that is really painful. I want to say something about 
being thin and and bulimia, anorexia and bulimia, what I know about them. One, in terms of the story, some women have told me stories about anorexia and one, I'm thinking of one woman's said it so well, but it, it wouldn't, it would be common. I said, what's it like? She said, I want it to be thin. And I said, I asked my basic question, my non-shaming question. What's it like to be really, really, really thin? Before I get into pathologizing, that's no good. I do want that, don't want the person to hurt themselves. But first I want to understand. And the woman said, it's like trying to be invisible. Mm. One simple question, how much, you know, you're nodding. How much information is that? We already have. And then if I said, took the next question, imagine you could be invisible. As opposed to, imagine, yeah, it touches you, Tanya. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Imagine you can be invisible. What would be so good about that? Imagine it. And if a person's with me, I would close my eyes. I'd say, go ahead, I can't see you. And that person would say, oh, it's such a relief. Or I feel safe or things. So I'm like, that's, yeah, I'm seeing your eyes. And I'm going to slow down again. And yeah. Mm. You can say something or not. Your tears are saying everything too. Yeah. Well, it's just sad to imagine young girls wanting to be invisible. You know, like just to imagine their mindset and their their headspace to be invincible yeah like it's just powerful sad like a it's it's amazing that she had that ability to say that though to verbalize it and to see that to and then we it. think the the mix with sexism bad enough that some of us want to be invisible men women black white asian but then the extra assault to tell a woman who's already lives in cultures too often, not all, but many, that says, can't you be a little smaller, a little less? Can't you be in service of somebody else's visibility? Even my partner wants to be in service of my visibility. That's great. I love that. But we have to think about her and support her to get a PhD. It's like, go do your thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so that visibility then is a double, you know, big yes to that. I want to say something about bulimia and anorexia and the difference, but let me, I always get ahead of myself because there's so many things that are worthy of talking about. And yeah, but you all had a big yes. And I saw you Mary, too, were a little teary. And well, it's interesting because when you said this, I identified with your story, but then watching Tanya's reaction just completely touched my heart. (laughs) (laughs) So we're like, we're, like just total empathy balls <laughs> right <laughs> so, I mean, not even premenstrual i don't have an excuse <laughs> yeah, and we're not here to excuse ourselves it's no, just it's an expression of who we are and that we mm-hmm. you know i i feel honored and grateful that we get to touch lives and then to have you on our show to be able to touch other people's lives mm-hmm. uh, i just hope that mm-hmm. You know, people will listen to this and take it to heart, to what you say. It's so important because, gosh, like, it struck me like 80%. Wait, wait, what was the percentage you said? 80%. 80%. That's insane. Yeah, by fourth grade. like It's insane. It's insane because, you know, when you say this, my daughter's nine, she's turning 10, she's going into fourth grade. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's yeah. that going to be like for her? Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a wonderful, but uh, like I actually had this young patient who uh, finally got her period back after being like accepting eating again and eating enough calories, a dancer. And, uh, and I had her do like positive affirmation cards about, um, you know, her body and her mind, her soul, her everything. And, uh, and, and, and she says that she was going to turn it into like, um, you know, like laminate them. She did with her older, um, her boy, her brother's girlfriend, and they were going to laminate them and sell them and like, you know, promote and, and, and educate other young, teens about hypothalamic amenorrhean and uh you know she's trying to turn it into something to like educate because it is such a 
epidemic right now. And I have a, a patient who happens to be a pediatrician who that she's so overwhelmed with cases of, of this concern. So I just can't, can't imagine these young women feeling invincible. You know, it, it is heartbreaking. Um, and uh, I can imagine that social media is probably one big cause of this, right? And, and technology and absolutely and, uh, YouTube and as well, right? Yeah, I, I read a statistic, but this was I started doing research in this area. It was like 17 years ago. So I, this is not an updated piece of research. Um, but but at that time, there were more women dying of eating disorders than AIDS. That was 17 years ago. And a lot of people were dying of AIDS at that time. Wow. But, but dieting and getting thinner made the style section of the newspaper. AIDS and epidemics make front pages or health sections, right? Now that things have changed in many different ways, especially around AIDS, more people are living and around partially because of the drugs and, and the protection, but there are drugs that long, help people live a lot longer. It's so touching to sit with the two of you. <laughs> I totally didn't expect all of these teary eyes and I'm like oh my gosh it's just like coming out the floodgates yeah. so no I mean because shame also I have this shame is my the, when if I'm ever a warrior and I am at times and not at other times there's other ways of being but I would take on shame because the eyes diminish and one of the things shame doesn't see or blinds us to, in addition to all the things I've mentioned, is it blinds us to the feeling problem. So someone doesn't come in and someone comes in then to the coaches, I want to lose weight. No one's crying right. or yelling at that moment. It just looks like a reasonable request. And then, and then even here, just a few questions in, where are the tears? What's the self-hatred like? What are the voices you've taken in as an Asian woman, as a black woman, as a white woman? What's happening for you? None of that's had it. So we're not crying or yelling or screaming or pounding. None of that comes up because shame says your reactions to living in a culture like that are irrelevant. <laughs> you're not a subject. You're an object. A subject feels, right? The way people used to think or some people think about animals. They don't feel anything. Oh. Uh, so that if a person and woman in this case comes and says, can you help me lose weight? If we don't ask enough questions, then we're not crying together about her 10-year-old story or her trauma or how mm. visible she wants to be or about her daughter who's 10 years old. We're not crying together. And that those tears are part of a healing atmosphere. Then we can, then we, then we can approach something. But now we have feeling. We have eyes that care and have compassion and empathy. Otherwise, it becomes just a series of measurements. And those measurements almost never work, by the way. Mm, absolutely. And so we didn't say this to the audience, but you actually are the founder of Santa Fe Institute for Shame-Based Studies. So, and you teach and work with individuals around the world. So he has something to say. So you get that he understands shame. So my yeah. only uh, contact through shame and vulnerability had really just been through Brene Brown. And I, I love your work and I love what you're saying. And mm -hmm. gosh, like um, just really identifying and sharing and being able to voice one's stories is really where we need to begin versus just follow X, Y, and Z for your diet. And let's look at the scale yeah. and measure you yeah. that way, right? Yeah. I mean, listen to just even talking to two of you. Here's what it's like to be an Asian woman. Here's what it's like to have freckles. Here's what it's like to have a thin body. Here's what it's like to have a daughter. Here's what it's like to see patients who can, who, who, whose menstrual cycles are, are hurt. And can, I didn't remember, get the exact words that you had. Yeah, it's, they, they can't gain, they have to yeah. gain weight. They have yes. to gain weight to yes. get their periods back. Um, another like a uh, specific time in a woman's life that uh, you know we're so hard on women bouncing back from pregnancy, right? So they 
they deliver a baby and it's such a sacred time. And uh, we had another podcast uh, talking all about the fourth trimester um, and, it, and just women trying to, they see movie stars and, and mm. uh, people in social media who have, you know, they're at their prepartum weight and that's an expectation that we should all just get there in six weeks. We had a baby and we should be at our prepartum weight. So right. how do you, what, you know, how, what would you tell a woman who's desperate to lose weight and wanting to be their pre-pregnancy size? Yeah. I mean, I have a, I have a questioning style in, in it's, which is very important for me, particularly as a man talking to a woman, because I don't have the, I have experience of being part of humanity. I know what it's like to be a Jewish person. I know, for instance, you know, I connect, I know what it's like to have violence in a family. So I'm part of the humanity. I know what it's like to have internalized oppression and live in a violent world. But then I don't know, I don't have certain authority around what a woman's body is like. So I have to ask, like my interventions are always asking things that I think will help me. So I will ask that woman, tell me what it's like to be pregnant. Tell me what it's like to have your belly. What's it like to have your belly now? And then that woman in my experience now is going to tell me one of a couple of things, most likely. One is going to be, her experience is going to be a set of criticism. Well, it's this, it's that. It's a viewpoint about her. Can you follow it? I'm doing my hand like this. She's going to either tell me her experience of being under a critical lens. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that means that there's, an external, an internalized criticism, internalized oppression. And then I would help her get in touch with that. One way of doing that is I would say, if I were you, what does those boys say? Well, Tanya, you helped me with that already. You know, look at the celebrities. Look how they look. Why is it taking you so long? Remember how thin you were, right? And I would take that and I would say, can you let me begin to say a few of those words to you? I'm going to be the critic no longer inside your head. I'm going to represent the culture. And I want you to stay very close to your body feelings. And I would say, okay, you ready? I'm about to give you a criticism. And then before I gave it, Tanya, I would say, something happening to you already? I haven't said a criticism yet. And they say, yeah, what's happening? I'm already getting tense. I say, great, you don't need the criticisms yet at all. I don't want you to take in one more dose of that. Tell me about the tension. Show it to me. And that woman will show me things that look like a fist or a tightness or a boundary. So she's saying, I need an inner boundary. Outer boundaries? Sorry, David, I don't have time to talk to you today. Inner boundaries is a voice that's going on unmet, unpushed against. And in that boundary is a kind of power that's going on unconsciously that that woman wants to be more in touch with. She wants to walk through the world with a little bit more of this, that boundary, that firmness that her body shows right away. So first I'll stop right there. Does that make sense as a direction? Oh, absolutely. Because rather than, you know, just falling prey to what the culture's desires are and then having that be an internalized conversation, you're, yeah. you know, t- um, mm-hmm. just connecting with her pure emotions of what it feels like to be in that body. So in that present moment, which is so powerful. And I love when you say, gosh, I just go back to redirecting through questions. But what's one of the major issues in our culture? It's like, well, people aren't listening. So you just holding them and listening, gosh, that is worth more than most anything. Because, we're, you know, a lot of professionals will often just sit and just delve out advice right so there's still no interactions just like a top-down approach then i learn things so quickly people say oh that's going to take a while well some people don't have that time but i learn things so quick like like minutes you know (laughs) like not like days not like Mm -hmm. three years of sessions not saying everything gets better but it doesn't take long i'm thinking of a of a woman uh uh she's also in the book jasmine they, everybody gave me consent, by the way, to tell their stories. I just don't use their actual names. Jasmine was an African-American woman, and we were talking, and she said, I have to admit something to you. And she said, I'm shy to say. I said, what is it? She said, sometimes I think, I wish I were a thin white woman. She said, isn't that bad? Now, first, of course, we should have feel. We should, I should. I have feelings about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, how painful! Right? So, I wish I were a different human being. Mm. Um, 
But, but then I said to her, this is the questioning thing, what would be so good about being a thin white woman? Right, I'm not thinking she should be, right? I'm just wanting to understand her, to listen to her experience. And she said, then I would walk through the world and people would open doors for me. Literal doors and, and doors to opportunities. And I said, that's incredible. The world would do different things to you. And then she also got very teary. And I said, what's you thinking? She said, you don't hurt things that are beautiful. Oh, People oh. saw me as beautiful and they don't. And I would be less hurt. Now, it doesn't mean that a white woman can't get hurt. But she's saying something so powerful. Isn't that amazing? You yeah. don't hurt things that are beautiful, she says. Now, how would I ever know that if I didn't ask a question? David Bedrick's brain is pretty a good one, but he would never have thought right. Right. that that piece of information was relevant and, and that the education she was going to give me was that powerful. So I want to just add in the elephant in the room. Hmm. And the elephant is you, by the way, David. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what I mean by that is... What are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just want to just comment because, you know, you, you're really touching our hearts here. And, and it comes from a place of you have yourself walked the path and you just alluded to it like ever so little. And it, if, it would be an honor if we could hear your story because you had a story of your own having had a difficult childhood. Would mm. you share that with us? Sure. Sure. I grew up in a, in a, I call it a, vital, a violent home or a brutal home. I start stuttering because I want to say Jewish home. And, that, and I should say that because it's important because family violence is family violence. My father used fists and belts, not just to punish, not that that would be okay, but at a, a grown male's rage. Um, but then those stories, as you both know, are not only personal stories, right? <laughs> this was a Jewish story and then comes from that. Not that that's not an excuse. It just mm -hmm. means to understand it. It's required. That's required. So he used fists and belts. My brother, I had one brother, one sibling, he got the worst end of the, of the lash. Um, I got some, but mostly I was just terrified because my mother, if she got in the way, she would get smashed and knocked away. My brother was old enough. He would speak back. He would get, the hardest end of things. So that was something for me to learn about. And I had a mother, like too many women, especially at that time, I'm 65, my mother is, is both my parents have been passed. I had a mother who was disempowered. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't say, that's it. Don't touch that child. What happened to you? She couldn't even come over to me and say, are you okay? She had to come over to me and say, that wasn't such a big deal. Don't be upset. She had to make a dismissal out of it. She couldn't leave. She couldn't fight back. She couldn't stand up to him. She couldn't protect her kids. She couldn't even hear their stories without wanting to deny and dismiss them to make it all better. And that's where I began to learn about shame because over my psychological career, I became interested in obviously the hurts that people experience, but I became over time more interested in this thing that we internalize that says it's not happening. Whether that's to a social culture, we had a black president, isn't, isn't racism gone? That's a kind of a dismissal, mm -hmm. right? And then the person takes in something. And the problem with that, I'm making a jump from my personal story, let me stay personal first. The problem with that for me is that when things are difficult for me or I'm getting hurt in a smaller way or not, or I need more sensitivity, I had internalized a kind of a mother, you can call it. The way I'm going to put, quote, the way I mother myself is to dismiss and deny that anything is difficult for me. So I push through everything until I can't. So that's internal then to me. I have to overlearn a new mothering that says, oh, you're feeling tired. You're push pushing a lot. Maybe you need a rest. I don't have that mother. Your mother says, it's no, not that big a deal. That oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I have to cut in because you, you just hit a nail on the head. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we see, a, at least I, I see a lot of fertility patients. And one of the things I say to them, I said, you need to learn to mother yourself. And mm-hmm. now I have to actually go back and sh- say it differently. Because now I have to say, you need to mother yourself in a way that we, we has to create a new way of mothering because it maybe right. mothering yourself if you're looking at your past might not be the best way not, yeah, <laughs> yeah right if you're not coming from a good background oh my gosh like that was like just talk about what a good mother looks right? like yeah. yeah first yes and then well that's what you need to that's now how you treat yourself People often don't know. Amazing. And they don't Amazing. know. Even people even don't know how because the, the, it comes in so early that we begin thinking that way. I usually use touch. I say to a person, is there any part of your body that feels a little tender, pain, tired, or that sometimes does? Yeah, I get sore shoulders. Can you put your hand on your shoulder? And imagine your hand has the most healing touch that you can imagine. Okay, what's your hand doing? Staying very close to the body. Is it firm? Is it tender? Is it stroking? Is it wanting to touch to feel where the thing is? What's that hand like? Just so people can make contact with experience. Otherwise, it's incredible to say people don't have an idea about how to do that. But the training, the conditioning is so hard. I know how to mother myself. I, whatever I do. I have my, my partner, Elisa, I've been with her 17 years. She used to say to me, how are you feeling today? And I'd say, oh, I have kind of a headache. Oh, sweetheart. She said, how long have you had a headache? I'd say, uh, for a few days. <laughs> how come you don't take an aspirin? Now, whether I should or not, that's a, that's a kind of discussion. But I have a psychology that says this, I should feel everything and I should, and I should bear uncomfort no matter how long. And she would have to like, and I really <laughs> wanted to stop doing it. She'd have to like get me a glass of water and put a, aspirin in my hand right? <laughs> now some people are anti-pharmacy oh that's fine but it was like for me it was good to like go wow I could suffer this headache what a yeah. radical notion yes. you know? i totally I'm identify with that this is crazy you know <laughs> oh my i God. love that some women i would tell who, who have that mothering thing i'd say what's it like in your body are you uncomfortable even a tiny little bit do you have to pee? Are you a little chilly? Are your ears cold? Are you a little warm? And I'd say, what would it be like to put on a little sweater? How about taking that sweater off? How about getting a shawl? How about fixing your back? How about saying, I think I'm going to go pee for a moment. Can I be right back? These are very simple, but they're profound. They're prof- not the act itself, but because they're working against something that says, don't pay attention to anything that's happening for you, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we can totally talk to you all day. And of course, I'm thinking in my head, I should totally go see you, right? Because everything's virtual now. Yeah. I, I totally love therapy. I believe in like coaching one's <laughs> lives all the time. Like, I, I, you know, and when we look at shame, by the way, uh, there can be people that are in the camp of if you go for therapy, that means that's shameful and there's something wrong with you. And I come at it from, gosh, like everyone needs to have this kind of therapy because it makes us better person and we don't have to live within our own bias. You get an outside perspective and the guidance, right? All of that. Continual growth and understanding, insightful. Yeah. So we want people to get in touch with you and then definitely uh, your book, uh, You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. It's going to be, we'll have a link to it in our uh, website. So go check out embraceyoufirst.com. We'll have all the show notes there and um, how to connect with David as well. So through uh, you've got a Facebook account and uh, your actual website. So it's all there. Before we end off, and like I said, gosh, like we could just talk to you all day long and (laughs) this episode is definitely going to be broken up into multiple because we thought that we would have a short conversation with you we did not anticipate (laughs) crying with you and like having this kumbaya (laughs) 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 don't tell me what to be we have to have one of those just to fill out the emotional territory (laughs) (laughs) so before we end off um we would love to hear as we ask all our guests, how you fill your cup? How I fill my cup? Today, yesterday, last week. There are three things that come to my mind. Walking on the earth is really important to me. It's 
I didn't know. I grew up in New York in a, in a cement jungle, I call it. So it took me until way into my adult years before I realized that a tree was something that was really lovely to stand by or sit, or sit underneath. But I learned that <laughs> in a funny way. Uh, music is, is, I usually spend at least an hour listening to music before I do anything every day. And it's kind, you can call it a meditation of a kind, but I, I need music <laughs> in my life. I need, lately it's been jazz. I love jazz musicians that they take a simple, potentially simple song and then do something. They, they would do what we did. We start somewhere and then we go somewhere we didn't expect. And I love that part. And then I have a partner, Lisa, who's, who, yeah, without whom I have three books, none of those would exist because I couldn't support myself enough. I didn't have enough inner resource, inner love, inner belief. Somebody else had that for me. Now, some people think that we should all love ourselves first. I couldn't do that all the way without somebody else loving me. That's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Click subscribe, like, and share. Please comment and suggest topics you want us to cover. Until next time, ask yourself, how are you going to embrace you first today? For more podcasts, check out embraceyoufirst.com. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.